0: Caring for God's temple. You know, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, as is in Corinthians. And we are called to put off the old man and put on the old man, of course, by God's power. There's some statistics about obesity in the United States. Overweight, and I'll define this later. It's 58 million people. Obese, 40 million. Morbidly obese, 6 million. 6 million. 8 out of every 10 over 25 years of age are overweight. 78% of Americans are not meeting the basic activity level recommendations, which is doing half an hour a day of brisk walking or 50 minutes of running for five days a week and doing two sessions of muscle strengthening exercises. 25% of Americans are completely sedentary. Most work they do, they move the mouse and click on the channels. This is obesity level in the United States, again, from the CDC in 2009. The blue is Colorado. If you heard when I introduced that in the, uh, in the morning, it's only 19.8%. And Mississippi is the worst at 34.4%. Everything, as you see, it's 20 to 24 percent, 25 to 29 percent, more than 30 percent. And as you move forward, things get more and more red uh, in the country. It's interesting that a 25-year-old guy who's significantly obese will lose 13 years of his life, which is about 22 percent of his life expectancy. Uh, A 40-year-old man, if he's only overweight, will lose three years of his life. If he's obese he lost six years of his life. And obesity now is taking over as the most common preventable cause of death in the United States. It taxes the healthcare um, finances for about $40 billion a year just because of obesity. This is how we calculate the body mass index, which is BMI. Weight in pounds times 703 divided by height in inches squared. And this is not, for example, if somebody is 5'9", because he, he doesn't have to be 163.2 pounds. There is a tremendous range that's acceptable. If somebody is 5'9", he could be anywhere from 126 pounds all the way to 163 pounds. So you have, you have a long leeway. If anybody more than that, for that height, he's, he's, he starts to be overweight. Um, there are always exceptions. Those are... The very significant bodybuilders, of course, will have a lot more muscle mass, but that's the exception rather than the rule. Morbid obesity is defined as 100 pounds over ideal body weight or BMI 40 or more. Or if you can have a BMI of 35 or greater with these health problems as a result of obesity. Sleep apnea, depression, osteoarthritis, diabetes, hypertension, colon, kidney, breast, and uterine cancer, gastroesophageal reflux disease, gallstones, urinary incontinence, menstrual irregularities, erectile dysfunction, and infertility. There is another measurement that we do which is as important, if not even more so, than BMI is abdominal obesity. This is interpreting your waist circumference. Low risk is men at 37 inches, and the way we measure it is at, at the level of your umbilicus, belly button. Um, in women, 31.5 and below. The reason why in women it's a little bit lower, if you go above a lower number, it'll be bad, is because women collect fat at their hips and their legs, men, and their abdomen. Intermediate risk is 37.1 up to 39.9. And in women... 31.6, to 34.9. High risk is 40 inches and above, and in women, 35 inches and above. What makes abdominal obesity so harmful? And I'm not talking about fat under the skin. I'm talking about visceral fat that's inside you, about around your organs and your belly. Uh, there are a number of theories. One is linked to stress syndrome. It It increases the release of stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol. Another theory is lipotoxicity. Lipo has to do with fat. Abdominal fat cells release metabolic products into the portal circulation to to liver, and then it pours free fatty acids to other organs that are not supposed to have fat on them. And that causes significant organ dysfunction in your arteries, in your heart. And also another theory is something called adipokines. These are secreted by fat cells that act like hormones. And among these are, um, well, I'm just going to go through that. It's, it's, there's a lot of complex metabolic products that cause inflammation, metabolic abnormalities, and cardiovascular disease. This is a meta-analysis of abdominal obesity reviews from these different studies. Over a quarter of a million people, 364,000 were studied and this is, these are the diseases associated with abdominal obesity. Diabetes, lung cancer, mental deterioration, congestive heart failure, death, myocardial infarction, metabolic syndrome, and I'll describe, I'll describe that, chronic kidney disease, and high blood pressure. This is one example of obesity and the risk of death, for example, from colon cancer, uh, presented in 2003. If the body mass index is... 18.5 to 24.9, this is normal body mass index. Um, you start with a given level of people getting colon cancer. If you are overweight with a BMI of 25 to 29.9, your risk increase by 20%. If you're obese, 30 to 35, it's 47% increase. If you are 35 to 39.9, very obese, it's 84%, almost doubles the chance of getting colon cancer, assuming everything else is constant. Preventing diabetes action plan. Weight control, excess body fat is the strongest single risk for diabetes. A Harvard study of 27,000 male professionals was done revealing that if you're mildly overweight, your your risk of diabetes is 2.9 times. It's 200%, not 2.9%, it's 2.9 times. If you're you're obese, it's 7.9 times. Actually, a study was done which showed that if you have a soft drink, sweet drink a day, every day, you will double your chance of getting diabetes. So avoid sugar-sweetened beverages. It increases risk of weight gain and diabetes, and you start with kids. Avoid rapidly absorbed carbohydrates. These simple carbohydrates that get absorbed too fast shoot insulin very high in the blood. That's not good at all. It increases diabetes by 59%. Whole grains and cereal fiber products are very good carbohydrate intake because it decreases diabetes by one-third, one, by two-thirds two, two, two reduction in the risk. And really, uh, if you look at the kernel, the, the uh, uh, wheat kernel, it's made of three, three, three parts. It's the germ, the endosperm, and the bran. When it's refined, you lose the endoderm, you lose the germ, which has most of the vitamins, you lose the bran, which has most of the fiber, and you end up with the endosperm, which is all uh, carbohydrates that's not complex. Uh, This is the metabolic syndrome that I talked to you about. Abdominal obesity, females waist 35 inches or greater. Male waist 40 inches or greater. Fasting triglycerides of 150 milligram percent or greater. High-density lipoprotein, which is the good cholesterol. In females, less than 40 milligram percent. In males, less than 50. And blood pressure more than 130 over 85. And fasting blood sugar more than 110 milligrams percent. The remedy for this is, as you see, exercise and weight loss. These are the dietary guidelines for Americans 2010 by our government. Uh, One to three years old, carbohydrates, 45 to 65% of your diet, about 50%. Proteins, 5 to 20%, of course, as you're older and you do a lot of hard work or you're you're a bodybuilder, you need probably close to 20%. Fat, 30 to 40 percent, and as you get older, it gets the intake of fat should be less, and these fats better be uh, polyunsaturated or monounsaturated fats, not the saturated fats. Um, the one thing you should be absolutely um, avoided is trans fats, and these are made this come about by having partially hydrogenated vegetable oils, and you find these in. Cookies and stuff that's bought at stores, uh, fried, fried food. This is the health eating pyramid that uh, was coined by Harvard uh, School of Public Health Department of Nutrition, and they believe this is a much better explain how we should eat, and what we should do compared to the uh, government uh, pyramid or the government most recent plates, as you see. Down there, the thing you should do most of is exercise and weight control. And you see the food down there. So brown rice, um, fish, and beans. As you go up higher, you should have whole grain, brown rice, whole wheat, pasta, oats, etc. Olive oil is excellent. That's where you get your fat from. Uh, vegetables and fruits. And we'll talk about how many portions of these you should have. Um, it's interesting. A lot of people take omega-3 fatty acids. Actually, recently they've been found that uh, alpha-linoleic acid, which is found in, in oils, can, be, can increase the incidence of prostate cancer in men. So it's better to stick with uh, omega-3 fatty acids from fish. So you take fish, nuts, seeds, beans, and tofu, which is very high in proteins. As you go up, it, it narrows. You have only one to two servings a day of dairy products with vitamin D and calcium. And the stuff that we love the most, you should use sparingly. Red meat, processed meat and butter, refined grains, white rice, bread and pasta, potatoes, sugary drinks, and sweets. Dear Lord, what should we eat, right? <laughs> that's what we all eat. And alcohol, of course, in moderation, and not for everyone. If people have a family history of alcoholism, that's, that's bad news. Um, and it's, it's supposed to be um, two drinks, for men and one for women. Two drinks is equivalent to 10 ounces of wine, and depend what wine you're drinking. Some wine has 40% alcohol, port has 20% alcohol, so you have to watch. And a glass is not half a bottle; uh, it's, it's a couple of ounces, and uh, one half an ounce of uh, spirits or 12 ounces of beer. In women, if you increase your alcohol intake, you significantly increase your chance of, of breast cancer. We talk about serving sizes. A lot of people have no clue what the serving size is. Uh, Vegetables, one cup of raw leafy vegetables or a half a cup of cooked or chopped vegetables or three-quarters of a cup of vegetable juice. Uh, Bread, a slice of bread or one ounce of cereal, half a bagel or English muffin, and one-half cup of rice or pasta. Fruit, one medium piece of fruit three-quarter cup of fruit juice, one-half a cup of mixed fruit, milk, one cup of milk or yogurt, and better milk heavy, be uh, low-fat or fat-free, two ounces of cheese, meat, two to three ounces of cooked lean meat, poultry or fish, and you better eat the, the poultry without the skin, half cup of cooked dry beans, one egg or half a cup of nuts is equivalent to one ounce of meat. You think of a steak as like a deck of cards. That's equivalent to one serving of meat. This is what we call the DASH diet. It's the dietary approach to stop hypertension. Now, having gone through the servings, you know what this means all of a sudden, right? Six to eight servings of grain products per day. Four to five servings of vegetables per day. Four to five servings of fruit. Two to four servings of low-fat dairy product. Four to five servings of nuts, seeds, and legumes per day. No more than two servings of meat, poultry, or fish and very limited amount of sweets and fat. And of course, you can sort of introspect and see how you fit with these diets. Sodium is one of the most significant culprits in hypertension. Um, I'm going to give you an idea. The maximum allow- sodium allowance per day for, for, for an adult is 2,300 milligrams, which is a teaspoon of salt. If you are over 50... If you are hypertensive, then your sodium intake should be 15 milligrams per day. And look, I gave some examples to tell you how much sodium some of these substances have. A tablespoon of soy sauce is about 1,000 milligrams of sodium. Tomato sauce, one cup, is 1,500 milligrams of sodium. If you have a pizza at lunch and you have a TV dinner, you've more than doubled your your, your body need of sodium. Um, Potassium recommended daily requirements are 4,700 milligrams, and I'll show you why. I'll tell you why I'm showing potassium. These are the substances that have a good amount of potassium: milk, banana, peach, beets, kidney beans, potato, spinach, tomatoes, and yogurt. Sodium and potassium work the exact opposite in the body. Sodium is always in the plasma or mostly in the plasma, whereas uh, potassium is mostly in the cell, and Too much sodium increases your chance significantly of high blood pressure. If you have a good, but if you have a low sodium and high potassium, that lowers your blood pressure and decreases the incidence of cardiovascular disease. Another thing that's extremely important for us to have is fiber. And really, for all practical purposes, you need about 25 milligrams of fiber a day. There are two types of fiber, soluble and insoluble. The soluble fiber is important because first, it doesn't get absorbed. It dissolves in the intestines, and then it prevents a lot of things from being absorbed. It also moves slowly, so if you have a feeling of satiety, you don't eat too much. And that decreases the incidence of hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, strokes. The insoluble fiber is very important for uh, keeping water and then moving your bowel, so that it decreases the incidence of colon cancer and diverticulitis. Actually, diverticular disease is one of the most common diseases we, we face now as adults. As a surgeon, I deal with lots and lots and lots of diverticulitis of people that need surgery, and it's getting in younger and younger people. Before, it used to be in people in their 50s and 60s and 70s. Now, we're operating on people in their 30s with acute diverticulitis, and this is inflammation in pockets in the colon, mostly on the left side. Good nutrition and exercise are natural partners. Together, they are the hand and glove of disease prevention and good health. People exercise for one of five reasons. Exercise for work, we really don't do anymore. You sit on your zero-turning uh, lawnmower and you let it trip. You do nothing. Uh, nobody works anymore. Um, you look for the closest place um, in a mall to the park close where you're going to go into the mall and buy stuff um, you wait for 15 minutes to go up one flight of stairs in the elevator. You know, people people don't work anymore they you know for, and there are no fields you're not you're not you know or it's getting less and less likely to do that there is also exercise for health and that's of course very important and we'll talk about how we do that as we go beyond forward some exercise for recreation others exercise for competition and of course lot people exercise for appearance sake there are always excuses why you can't exercise overcoming exercise hurdles I never had enough time well if you can the thing is that you don't have to do an hour 45 minutes at one stretch to make it meaningful If you need to do half an hour a day, you can do 10 minutes in the morning and 50 minutes in in the afternoon or in the evening. The two will add up to the same benefit that you would get from half an hour of uninterrupted exercise. So you have time to watch TV, to read the newspaper, to chat, to do nothing. You definitely have time to exercise half an hour a day. I am too old to start now. That's an absolute fallacy. Actually, people in their 50s and 60s that start doing exercise they catch up with their peers who have been doing exercise for years in decreasing hypertension, diabetes, stroke, heart disease, and longevity also. My health isn't good enough. That's an excellent reason to exercise. If you have diabetes and hypertension, heart disease, that's what we prescribe. If you have osteoarthritis, that's what we prescribe also, under supervision, of course. I am not overweight. What's the point? That's, again, a big fallacy because studies were done that show if you're not overweight, your waistline and your BMI are fine, and you don't do exercise, those who are obese but exercise will have a better life and longer life than you do. So there is no reason to use that as an excuse. It's too painful. The old adage that no pain, uh, no gain, really doesn't, there there is no place for that. Um, Um... If you look at 0 to 10 of uh, of activity, 0 is sort of sitting in bed, drooling, doing nothing. And and then... (laughs) And 10 is really doing the most strenuous exercise you have ever done. You should be exercising for health between 3 to 5, where your heart rate increases some, you breathe a little bit harder, but then you can still carry a conversation. Of course, I'm not talking here about competitive exercise, where you have to maintain a heart rate of 75 to 85% of your maximal heart rate for 20 to 60 minutes. That's for competition, not for health reasons. These uh, this, uh, this next few slides were coined at the Mayo Clinic's top 10 reasons to get physical. What aerobic exercise does for your health, regardless of age, weight, or athletic ability, aerobic exercise is good for you. As your body adapts to regular aerobic exercise, you'll get stronger and fitter. Consider the following 10 ways that aerobic exercise can help you feel better and enjoy life to the fullest. Can you tell us what the aerobic exercise means? Actually, it's not used a lot anymore now. Uh, Harvard came up with a term called CME, which is cardio, cardiometabolic exercise. Aerobic exercise means that it's isotonic. Isotonic means if you're running, you're not. You're not increasing your muscle strength by doing something very hard. You're maintaining an isotonic use of muscles, okay? And then you use also a lot more oxygen that you'll do if you're, if you're sedentary, doing nothing. It's not a exercise, it's a well, if you're lifting weights, that's isometric. Right. Okay? Yeah. You need to be doing things. Uh, running, playing basketball, playing soccer uh, is, is aerobic exercise. Absolutely. Walking, yeah, walking is aerobic exercise. So the one thing is it keeps excess pounds at bay. Combined with a healthy diet, aerobic exercise helps you lose weight and keep it off. It increases your stamina. Aerobic exercise may make you tired in the short term, and the people complain about, but over the long term you will enjoy increased stamina and reduced fatigue. I mean, I can speak from personal experience. I come from the hospital exhausted, being in the operating room for 10 hours or seeing patients all day. I do two hours of exercise. I run for an hour and do weights for an hour, and I feel absolutely fine. I feel much better than I did before I started. It wards off viral illnesses. Aerobic exercise activates your immune system. This will leave you less susceptible to minor viral illnesses such as cold and flu. It reduces your health risks. Including obesity, heart disease, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, stroke, and certain types of cancer, and that's breast cancer, colon cancer, uterine cancer, prostate cancer, kidney cancer. I mean, it's unreal. And of course, weight bearing exercises such as walking reduce the risk of osteoporosis, and that's very important in women as they go into the postmenopausal age. It, five manage chronic conditions. It helps lower blood pressure and control blood sugar. If you have a heart attack, aerobic exercise helps prevent subsequent attacks. And, of course, this should be done under the direction of cardiologists and not you just decide what you're going to be doing and take off. It will strengthen your heart. A stronger heart doesn't need to beat as fast. A stronger heart also pumps blood more efficiently, which improves blood flow to all parts of your body. I don't know if you ever check your heartbeat. If you're really 75, 80, 85, you're out of shape. And that's not good. The heart rate should be 70 or less. Elderly people sometimes have heart rate of 30 and 40. That's not health. That's cardiomyopathy. and need the a pacemaker. <laughs> and it keeps your arteries clean. Aerobic exercise boosts your HDL, which cleanses and removes stuff from your arteries. And lowers the LDL, the bad cholesterol, which causes deposits in your vessels and increases the risk of everything that comes with that. Peripheral vascular disease, um, Cardiac disease, you know, heart attacks, and strokes. It boosts your mood. Aerobic exercise can ease the gloominess of depression, reduce the tension associated with anxiety, and promotes relaxation. You can stay active and independent as you get older. It keeps your muscles strong, helps you maintain mobility as you get older. It also keeps your mind sharp at least 30 minutes of aerobic exercise three days a week seems to reduce cognitive decline in older patients. Studies were done which was that this can decrease the incidence of Alzheimer's disease. And also, you will live longer. Studies show that people who participate in regular aerobic exercise live longer than those who don't exercise regularly. And you're always, there is time for you to come to the Lord and you know, be with him in heaven. So. These are, I'm going to go through some Examples, I mean, you tell me, well, what, what, what do I need to do? I don't like to do anything. Carpentry, mowing the lawn, raking lawn, sexual activity, stir climbing, washing car by hand. And, and this is what I thought about the CME, the cardiometabolic exercise. For health reasons, you need about 150 of CMEs. For appearance sake, you need 300. Uh, of course, for competitive exercise, the is the limit. Yeah. aerobic dancing, biking, calisthenics, golfing, golfing without riding the cart. (laughs) Jogging, I mean, uh, jogging, uh, jumping rope, skiing, swimming, tennis, walking, yoga. I mean, there are a lot of activities that fit all sorts of people in shapes and forms. This is some recent studies of modern daily activities um, and how it affects people. Over 10,000 people from Harvard alumni the climbing at least 55 flights of stairs a week. If you, if you work in an institution where it's like five or six flights, walk up. If you walk up every day, you already accomplished that. It lowers death rate by 33%. If you garden at least one hour per week, or walk at least one hour per week, look at the decrease in cardiac death, 66 and 73%. 1,400 middle-aged Englishmen, uh, Finnishmen, did at least 2.5, 2.2 hours of leisure time activity a week, 69% lower risk of heart attacks. 39,000 uh, American female health professionals walking at least one hour a week. There is 51% lower risk of coronary artery disease. And, and goes, goes on, goes on. Seven hundred, seven retired uh, uh, Hawaiian men, sixty-one to, to eighty, to eighty-one, walking at least two miles a day, fifty percent lower mortality rate. It's unbelievable how helpful exercise can be. Two twenty-nine postmenopausal women walk one mile a day, or more. This is a ten-year randomized clinical trial. It's not hearsay. It was. It's a very well done scientifically. lower risk of heart disease. It's done from all over the world, men and women, young and old. Exercise precautions. Be wise, use restraint and judgment. Here are some few tips. If you're over 40, if you have medical problems, and if you have not exercised previously, you need to seek medical attention first. Stress test would be necessary if you have heart disease or if you have cardiac symptoms. If you go out and start running, you know, you're going to fold up on a heart attack. Eat and drink appropriately. Do not eat for two hours before you do exercise. Because, you know why? Because when you have a good meal, the blood it will be shunted to your intestines and stomach for digestion and absorption. And you don't want to switch it back to your skin and muscles. Warm up before you exercise and cool down afterwards. Dress simply. Aim for comfort, convenience, and safety rather than style. Style doesn't help you much. Use good equipment, especially good shoes. It's absolutely essential that you have good shoes. Exercise regularly nearly every day if you can. Alternate harder with easier workouts to make it more fun and, and tolerable. Take time to recover from injuries and illness. Don't clench your teeth and go through pain. That doesn't make any sense. You can get hurt. Well-rounded exercise program. You know, find what suits you best. Variety keeps muscles fresh and keep you from becoming bored. You don't use the same strength exercise, for example, day after day after day. You should, should switch and let the body rest. And you need to exercise for strength, Stretches and balance. You might consider instruction or joining a health club. Flexibility is very important. Hold and relax, sustained stretch with mild tension for 10 to 30 seconds. Breathe slowly while stretching. And by the way, I've seen people pumping weights and they're cross eyed and they're red in the face and they're not breathing. That's absolutely inappropriate because your blood pressure goes up because of all sorts of problems. Breathe slowly while stretching. Start with one to two repetitions, build to three to five, and stretch three to five times per week after warm-up. Do not bounce. Do not stretch to the point of pain or strain. Do not stretch cold muscles. And do not lock out or or overextend your joints. Do what you enjoy. You saw the list of so many things you can do. Exercise hard enough to cause a moderate rise in heart rate and breathing and still carry on a conversation. 30 to 40 minutes plus warm-up and cool-down, three to six days a week. Allow one to two days of rest. You shouldn't exhaust yourself. And this is an example. Um, If somebody weighs, you say a mile is about 100 calories. Uh, If you weigh 120 pounds and you walk over, you run a mile, you spend 85 calories. If you're 220 pounds, for the same mile, you burn 135 calories. So it's really a lot easier to lose weight by watching what you eat than by exercise. Although if you do brisk walking 35 to 45 minutes a day, over a year you can use 30 pounds if you maintain everything else the same. Resistant training, weight, progressive resistance. You repeat that five to 20 times per exercise, one to five sets, and rest for 30 seconds to four minutes between exercises. I'm going to run through this. Now we're going to children, and this is absolutely our responsibility for our kids. This is what's happening to our children. In the '60s, obesity was four percent of kids were obese. And this is up to 2004, and now it's worse. Look how the thing were taken off. Six to eleven years, almost 20 percent, and two to five years, almost 15 percent, are overweight. And you see the catastrophe is going to happen later as a result of this. All of these can affect a child's growth and weight, which probably is something you don't know. From 12 to 24 months, the child assumes the eating habit of the family. So it depends what you eat, what your habits of nutrition, that's what your kids will get hooked on, not when they're 15 years old, by the time they turn two. And it's interesting to see how things switch. Four to six months, all of them, 100% will have milk, some will have juice, and you see it get to things that are bad, other than water is excellent. accident. It's much less. As you go to, you're really still two years old. 42% and 11.9, 12 or 42 is like 54%, more than 50% will have fruit drinks and soft drinks. That's completely unacceptable because that wreaks havoc with the health of the child. It's low calories with no nutrition. Meat and protein. Again, as you get older, 19 to 24 months, 27% 27% and 14% will get hot dogs, sausage, pork, and ham. I mean, hot dogs and sausage should be banned. I'll tell you because it's so unhealthy. It's not even funny. Dessert and sweets. By the time you're you're two months, you you're two years old, cakes, pastries, and cookies, which are packed with, with, with the calories, with no nutritional value, and donuts are even worse. You 61%. We'll take that. And what's interesting also, when our kids perform well in singing or in in, in Sunday school, what do we give them? Candy. We do not promote vegetables for kids. As you get 19 to 24, only like you start getting more and more stuff that's not good. Potatoes, 40%. By 24 months, 25% of toddlers consume fried potatoes on any given day. TV habits. By the, look at this. By the time you're 2, or two and a half years old, 38% watch 1 to 2 hours, 25% 3 to 4 hours, and 16% watch more than 5 hours of TV a day. So screen time between TV music videos and computer is more than seven hours. And look how much they spend on print media. 30 minutes a day. That's what our recommendations for kids. Support exclusive breastfeeding for at least four to six months. Limit sweetened beverages. Eat five servings per day of fruit and vegetables. Eat a nutritious breakfast every day. Limit portion size. They don't should be eating like pigs. Limit portion size and have regular family family meals. It's very important because if people eat whenever they feel like it, they'll be snacking all day, eating bad food and nobody has any clue what what these kid's intake is. So, limit screen time to a maximum of two hours a day and one thing I'm sure all of us are guilty of. Do not allow your child to have a TV in his or her bedroom. I don't know if anybody here has that. That's not, that's very bad. And participate in moderate to vigorous physical activity for 60 minutes per day. Again, infants, it's interesting. Have you ever seen a kid who hates French fries or doesn't like sweets? That doesn't come just by abstinence. This is because infants innately prefer sweets and salty, and they hate or reject bitter and sour. Infants resist, therefore, no food, which we call that neophobic. And therefore, you need to have more than ten exposures are needed to establish a new food. If you're going to feed the kids something, that, you know, green or yellow vegetable, and they spit it out, you don't give up. You have to keep trying. And it takes about eight to ten times before they start to like it. And parents eat the habits again. Influence the baby's choice at this age, especially the mother's. parental perception of their overweight child. Only one-third recognized it. The two-thirds saying, the kid kid is cute, and everything is hunky-dory. Only one-fourth will worry about it, and only one-fifth are worried enough to recall MD concern. This is a graph to show you really if you do exercise you need to do lots and lots of exercise to spend calories um, a child if they're doing nothing is they need 1,000 calories a day for maintenance if they do moderate activity that might go up to about an additional 400 calories very active about the same and let's go to us you know older people um, male and female a little bit different but for males 51 and over doing nothing for a 175-pound for male, you need about 2,000 calories a day to maintain you. If you do other activity, you use 200 to 400 calories. If you do significant activities, 400 to 800 calories uh, a day. In other words, uh, one lady asked me, she said she, she can't lose weight. I said, well, what do you eat? She said she doesn't eat much. She came to my office just having a hamburger French fries and a milkshake. One, you know, you either can skip that or you have to walk to Cleveland from, from Mansfield so, to, to lose the way, you know? Now, this is completely different. These people will need 6,000 calories a day, 70% of it carbohydrates, which is readily available nutri- uh, um, energy to maintain their weight. But, I mean, how many people are doing this? This is, again, this is an oddity. This is the exception other than the rule. our kids are overfed but undernourished we start okay at, at early in life and as you get into teenage uh, years look at this iron phosphorus zinc vitamin A C magnesium folate and calcium we're all deficient in these? high school students these are what males are deficient in, and this is what females are deficient in vitamins magnesium potassium fiber calcium And the list is much bigger for females. Calcium don't get enough. uh, Kids don't get enough calcium. More than 20 years, male get about 55% of the need calcium. Female, 78%. As you get older, you need more calcium, but it's important not to take more than 1,200 milligrams a day because that causes problems. And there is a big push now for getting more and more uh, vitamin D, the recommended uh, government thing is 400 units, but we recommend 800 units uh, of vitamin D3. And snacking has increased significantly also. The thing is that if you have a snack that's a, a banana or an apple or, or, or a uh, cup of fruit, that's, that's good. But a lot of people, kids and adults, snack continuously and snack on bad stuff too. That has increased from in the 70s, by, from 70% to almost 100% 2006. And some people say, well, that's, it's easy for you to say that. You know, you were born, you don't get fat. And others say, ah, "I can there's nothing I can do, I can't help it, that's my genes. 16,000 same-sex twins were studied over 20 years in Finland. Over the years, 1,200 died. And exercise was a strong independent predictor of survival. Conditioning exercising twins had a 56% lower death rate than their sedentary siblings. Even those who occasionally exercised had a 34% lower death rate. So it's not... Genetic play a very insignificant role. That might be about 20%. And this is the bibliography. Any questions or comments?
1: Sorry. What's your recommendation of
0: vitamins? You know, vitamins, it keeps going around and around. For example, four or five years ago, people were gun ho about antioxidants. It doesn't look it makes any sense. Um, if you eat a well-balanced diet, you get most of your vitamins. But you need calcium, especially for women. And as you see in kids, things are deficient then. And vitamin D. If you're in the sun a lot of the times, as long as you can avoid malignant melanoma, you know, skin cancer, you get tremendous amount of vitamin D. Yeah? How long should
2: toddlers be on um, the homogenized uh, milk? How long should toddlers be on the homogenized milk for their brain development? Like, how long do
0: they Well, yeah, that? I'm not a pediatrician, but we say it should be only milk from four to six months, and then you introduce them to food, as long as it's not going to be cookies and pastries and donuts. Introduce them to healthy food, and you have to work at it for them to like it. Because guests, basically, you know, naturally don't like except sweet and and, and 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 salty stuff. This may be from Adam, I would think. You know, when Adam fell, he loved sweets and salt. <laughs> and so.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, is it a good idea to replace uh, salt with uh, potassium-based salt substitutes?
0: Well, the thing is that if you. If you start to decrease your salt intake, again, after f- a number of meals, then you don't miss it anymore. Okay, so you don't have to replace it with, really, with anything. You need to take potassium for its benefits from, the interesting thing is that in natural food, there is very little sodium, but lot of potassium. So if you stick with natural food, you get less of sodium and much more of potassium, which is good for your body, for your blood pressure and and, 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 and uh, cardiovascular you know, health. Sarah? What? Of course you can. Uh, I just,
2: I have whatever, anyway. I just studied nutrition, so i just it has been a topic I've been obviously learning about. Uh, and just I don't know, this was kind of news to me that I thought was very interesting. That the reason why childhood obesity is so deadly for children as they get older is that it increases the number of fat cells in the body rather than just enlarging them. So as a child, if they're overweight to start with and are being overfed that child will have problems with obesity for the rest of their life because there's more fat cells. And kind of the saying is, the more fat cells there are, like, what is They're it? they harder to lose weight. Well, yeah, I like, guess, yeah. like, every fat cell is a hungry cell. So, so as an adult, say, like, you know, you, as a child as an adult, you're thin or whatever, and then you pack on some weight, it is much easier for that adult to lose weight than the child who started obese. So that's, like, the danger with childhood obesity. And then the second thing is, with, like, the calcium thing, I learned that, um, Basically, the risk, or just osteoporosis in general, actually has now been thought of as a child disease with a geriatric outcome, meaning that as a child, um, I just did a research project on this. So as a child, if you're not getting enough calcium, that will significantly increase your risk of osteoporosis like way down the road. And like that, the peak bone growth for a child is like 10 to 13. So by 10 to 13 years old, if they haven't gotten enough calcium, like they are, yeah, there's risking serious um, consequences later on. So, just like childhood health is just so important, all very honest.
1: Uh, I've heard that uh, people that uh, do uh, get jobs and assignments out of the United States, and they, when they get to that country and they're just living and, and eating and everything as normal as they, they would here, they lose weight and they get down to a, norm, a good normal weight. And then when they come back to the United States with the same habits, same non-sedentary life or the same sedentary life, and they start eating the food here in the United States, then they put on all kinds of weight. I was wondering if there's something wrong with the food product that is in our grocery stores.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's definitely not in the air. Um, losing weight or, or gaining weight is a matter of calories in and calories out. Plus also, in this country, we have a lot of refined food, which is packed with calories and very low on nutrition. So if the habits, the stuff they eat here and in other countries is the same, and the exercise effort is the same, they'll be the same. So what they change here is the quality of the food they eat, and the portions are humongous. If you look at the fast food industry, and you go back 10, 15, 20 years, the porches have almost doubled in size. So at that's what the bad knows it.
3: If we're not supposed to eat just before we exercise, when is a good time eating and exercising?
0: Say that again? If we're
3: supposed to have a meal. When we have to eat, is it better and we're not supposed to exercise right after we eat. So do we eat right after we exercise?
0: That's okay, yeah. I mean, and I do two hours of exercise, shower, relax a little bit and have and have dinner.
4: It's okay for that.
0: Right yeah, I mean but you shouldn't you shouldn't do exercise after because like I said, your blood is used is being used for something else.
1: Yeah. From from that you would say if you're gonna take a walk at lunchtime, do it before you eat.
0: Well it depends on how much you're gonna press yourself. Okay. You're gonna be smelling the roses and rolling a little bit, it probably doesn't make any difference. But yeah, <laughs> if you're going to do brisk walking, yeah, it's good to do eat. it before you eat. Okay.
3: All right? Diet pop versus regular pop. Man. Where does caffeine come in, play like, to our diet?
0: Well, caffeine can affect your gastro, your esophagus. Okay. The GA junction uh, sphincter mechanism, it can cause constriction of blood vessels. So if you have very bad heart disease, caffeine is not too good. But of course it doesn't play any role in in gaining weight. If there is no calories, you don't gain weight. So it it eliminates the sugar. Um, Probably the best thing to do is to have non-caffeinated, no calories, well drink water. It's the healthiest.
1: I, I heard a study though that said, you know, drinking diet soda actually makes your body crave more sugar.
0: I haven't seen that. I don't know. But I mean, you know, I mean, all sorts of things. A, 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 a glass of cold water is probably the best thing to have. But you can have a glass of uh, of 100% juice. Not too many of them because they also they have more calories.
3: Also, you just have to watch out for the artificial sweeteners, though, in the diet drink, especially like aspartame, <clears throat> which is, you uh, know, to pretty much promote... Uh, retardation in your brain when it turns uh, That explains a lot. Aspartame, <laughs> aspartame you know, it goes ahead and uh, turns, turns into formaldehyde when it reaches your body temperature. So it uh, yeah, promotes mental retardation. The, the more you
0: stay with natural products and away from artificial products, the better you are.
1: grocery stores nowadays you're starting to see multi-grain pastas and whole grain pastas uh, which 10 years ago you didn't see that uh. watch
0: multi-grain and, and, and brown thing may not mean anything Okay, you need whole grain that's what's very important, you need whole grain you can have white rice and, uh, and, and uh, what do you call it and um, uh, barley and stuff that has been uh, treated and it's not good you need whole grain the calorie can be misleading. It can be brown, but not really whole grain. You need whole grain.
4: Um, I have celiac disease, which means basically gluten intolerant. Yeah. So I can't have breads. And I can have pasta, but it has to be rice. It. What kind of rice? I mean, white rice to me is not even... Well, you know,
0: I, I'm not... Into celiac disease i 'm a gastroenterologist uh, and this is sort of beyond the scope of this of this lecture you know people who have diseases you know for example people who have very bad congestive heart failure you have to watch very carefully for potassium so once you get into disease problems then you know all sorts of things have to be changed according to very proper medical advice and, and, uh, I and see parameters.
4: The case, but everybody talks about multigrains and and there's not it's limited in what you I would be able to eat. I can't have that. So I see a cardiologist too.
1: <laughs> if you want to talk about yeah. the soft drinks, I lost twenty pounds by stopping soft drinks in six months. By stopping what? Soft drinks. Oh. You know. Pepsi's soda pop. Good. And uh, the old habits come back, and i drink one every once in a while, but I did for six months, I stopped drinking and lost 20 pounds. There was no diet, no regular whatever. Uh, like you said, water. And then when I wanted something, I drank like a Gatorade. Uh, you
0: know what? Yeah, this, uh, the, thank you for mentioning that. These energy drinks are packed with sugar. They're not healthy. You need to drink water. You know, yeah, the healthy—they—they they, they get add all sorts of things to water and mess it up. You know, these energy health drinks are not good.
3: I'm sorry. We, yeah. uh, two parts. One is you're very clinical in your approach to the subject, but uh, how about the issue of why we overeat? In terms of um, we often eat for emotional reasons and reasons where we're more than hunger, just like um, kind of almost an addiction. And I wouldn't mind your opinion on what should you of uh, of how people, like I'll even bring it to the spiritual context. You know, is it are we to the point where is it wrong for us to eat too much? Is it wrong to
0: eat too much? Yeah. This After all works. of this, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a spiritual. Point I, of I think when well, they say, well, again, people who are uh, obsessive eaters, right. see, all of a sudden, this these are medical things that need to be addressed specifically like, by nutritionists and by people who so deal with obesity. Uh, it's the same thing. Exactly. It's like all addiction. Yeah. You say not from a secular
3: perspective, but from a secular perspective. is it a sin to eat too much? I think he's asking more. I can leave it up to
0: you all to decide. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not God. Is smoking is a is sin? It's not mentioned in the Bible. Is it sin? The way I look at it is that everything that messes around and that impinges negatively the temple of the Holy Spirit is sinful. Now... Does it mean they're going to start chopping people off? That's not what I'm saying. But, yeah, but you have to look at it that way, you know? I mean, if somebody drinks too much, you're destroying your body, your, your, your brain, your liver, and the way you behave. You know, that's simple. If you smoke too much, you increase your incidence of all sorts of cancer significantly, lung, bladder, you know, what do you call it? Huh? Your larynx. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of problems. Slep stomach. So, yeah, I think anything that impacts dependent of God in a, in, a, in a negative way is bad. It's simple. That's what I think. You say I'm sorry, there's somebody... Oh, okay.
2: I was just going to kind of like further that point that um, sometimes, I mean, it's discouraging for everybody. Everybody, when you start eating a lot of sweets and a lot of just like, I don't know, fried food or whatever, it's addicting because it like, I don't know, it's... it's Pleasurable to eat those kind of foods, but um, to me, like being reminded that it's a temple of the Holy Spirit that, that our bodies are—that it's a worship to God to take care of that—and having, I think, that viewpoint rather than like I don't having a type, I'm not fitting a certain like body type that's like popular in the media or or just like losing weight. I don't know. It's just like the mindset needs to be: this is a worship to God. Because Correct. This is your body.
0: I think exactly. Exactly, it's just um, so.
2: And, and that takes work, just like being disciplined and reading the Word or doing anything else. And it's not as fun necessarily in the beginning especially.
0: But actually but it can get people. a lot of fun later. And soon, and much sooner than later, it becomes a lot of fun. Tell us, saying
4: A lot of times it's just easier to put something like this in perspective because for someone who needs to lose some weight, it's just a very daunting task to think of all the changes you need to make and, you know, I've got to start exercising and i got to change my diet and i got to drink more water and i got to do all these things. But if you really think about the perspective, I've read that if you cut one sweetened drink a day out of your regular diet, what you're eating now, you will cut out 53,000 calories in a year. And if you over... And divide you, that
0: by 2,800, you know how many pounds you will lose.
4: Right. And if you, were, if you are consuming more calories... Um, by one pat of butter a day, then your caloric demand is, you will gain weight. You will gain ten pounds in one year. By a single pat of butter on your bagel in the morning.
0: Yeah, one of the best people to be Mister Olympia 24 Hours. It can be very, months, very, yeah. very
4: small changes that, that could be very significant differences.
0: But like, like Sarah said, which is a very important point, you know, if you you're doing it you for God, if you're, if you're treated, if this body was a gift to us from the Lord, mm-hmm. and you have to treat it as such which means it takes work, but then there are a lot of benefits that you reap later. And again, sooner than later, you you, you enjoy things a lot more. Well, Yeah,
1: For Tony, as somebody who's battled a bulge and and who is uh, married to someone who, you know, Tony has really struggled throughout a lot of her history. Um, It got to the point where we had to go see a nutritionist and an endocrinologist as well. Um, she was trying to watch what she was eating, but it was things weren't always working. Our bodies are all different, and I, and I think we really should seek professional help if we have a problem like that, and then just follow what they say. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful we finally got a good nutritionist and in the last three months. She's been doing absolutely wonderfully, and she feels so much better. Exercise is now an hour a day instead of a half you know, it, it, it makes a tremendous impact on your life and, and on your outlook as well. So I, I think, you know, we have to admit, it can be a spiritual problem, the emotional problem, yes. and it's definitely a physical problem. So it's definitely something that we should address on all three levels as well.
0: That's true. But, but I mean, this is, again, there are always people who have the Leg disease, who can't do it on their own, who need more yeah. help, people have diseases that need medical advice. But otherwise, it's not rocket science, you know. The overwhelming majority of people should be able to do well with some of the information we discussed. And the, the internet is absolutely replete with, 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 with you know, with the, with what we call it, tables and discussions by the government, by other May clinics, Harvard, you know, uh, Yale, about proper exercise and, and, and healthy diet. Yes, sir? Absolutely. And like one guy works for one, not for the other. But I think each one is trying to reach us with real uh, uh, power. And they think maybe one can do one, I don't know if that's the other, that, that, all, the other that. one, no, it doesn't work for me. That's all. But to me, it seems all that it's really the real power. And everybody's trying to reach us. It's all garbage. <laughs> you see, one one other thing is that people can put you on all sorts of weird diets, and if it's if it's too good to be true, it's not true. Okay, you can get all sorts of. I mean, if, if you how can you how many, how long for how long you can eat only lettuce and meat? I mean, you know this this sort of typical the Atkins diet is. You know, I mean, it messes up your body. It, it all the metabolism get out of whack. And then, okay, how long can you maintain that? You lose 50 pounds and then you're back, you're all habits, and you're back where you start. It's like a seesaw. That's completely inappropriate for your body. Um,
3: diets are a money scam, pretty much. Uh, they all want you to, to take their diet and give them money. But um, what I was taught in school was, it's not a diet that you need. You need a life change. You need to apply it to your entire life. It's not gonna. You're not going to lose 30 pounds in a month the healthiest way is one, two, three pounds a week. So if a diet tells you you're going to lose 50 pounds in a
0: month, skip it. Skip it. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, it's a life change. Thank you, Jordan. Exactly. Yeah. It's something you can live with, that you like, and you can enjoy for the rest of your life.
3: I, to, uh, I was just going to say that you have to also look at why you're eating. Uh, I think Ed brought up something that um, it's just sometimes when people eat, there's an emotional reason why people eat. Also when you do eat you know, these salty or sweet foods or fatty foods, you know, your body does release serotonin. So you do get a high, you get a good feeling off of that. People often do that when uh, maybe they're down or whatnot. So just always check to see why you're eating as well. and Make sure that it's not a comfort food. Because your body... There is, it's a, if you will, a chemical high you get from that. And so we can't abuse that, especially when we eat the wrong things.
1: And that could be another reason why it's sin, because we're turning something else from to like uh, example.
3: Yes? I heard the latest trend now is they say sugar is really bad for you. Uh, that sugar alone can create a lot of weight. Like, what sugar rate?
0: is sucrose. I mean, you, you, you should have that 10% of less or less of your daily intake of carbohydrates. Uh, a few calories okay so i mean should you ever never ever 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 have a taste of sugar again no that's not what we're saying um but when you look at these soft drinks and sweet and stuff they're packed with sugar and that's what really is not good for your body
3: in particularly high fructose corn syrup is the, the culprit that you see pretty much in all foods you know that wrecks uh half of your body
4: I have a question. Physiologically, do our bodies crave carbohydrates, or is it just the result of what we were talking about here—that because you feel good, you know, it gives you like this high when you eat something that you like, that you want more of it? Or is there a physiological reason why our bodies want that?
0: Well, it depends what they're doing. For example, you saw these bikers (coughs) when they really. Churning at, at, at you know at high well, speed, very tremendous. <laughs> uh, no, <I> understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and then they need more carbs because yeah, the body needs need, feels it need more carbohydrates. Plus, also it's an easier source to be utilized for, for, for energy. Mm-hmm. Knowing that fat per gram gives most energy. You know, uh, per, mm-hmm. per per for a gram, it's nine calories, mm-hmm. whereas with protein and, and carbohydrates, it's four calories per gram. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are all sorts of reasons why people crave all sorts of things. You know.
4: It was just interesting because I had a neighbor that lost 40 pounds in about a year or so. So I asked her, wow, how'd you do that? You know, And she said, all I did was cut out carbs for two weeks until her body got over that crave for the carbs. And then it was easy to change your diet and eat the things you should do once you got that. You just had to stick it out for that period of time until that craving period went away. That
0: worked for her, but, yeah. but really you need about 45% of your calories as carbohydrates.
4: Well, I guess she she yeah. went back to eating it, but not like in the way that she did before, that the amount okay. of it really...
0: Actually, I think we're uh, it's getting too late.
4: Thank you, everyone. Thank you.